CDC is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On The Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community and subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we're thrilled to be talking to Karen Lavoie. Karen Lavoie has been an employment consultant for more than 18 years, helping companies and startups find the right members for their teams. Specializing in the ICT sector, the key behind Karen's success is her ability to tap into the hidden job market and understand technology and skills trends using skills gap analysis. Karen provides guidance to employers to find funding, process support, and resources. Karen also provides meaningful career coaching, training, and upskilling to mature workers, new graduates, and youth seeking new employment opportunities. Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, glad to be here. Karen is here to share her passion about helping employers build and strengthen their team and help Ottawa's workforce be one of strength. Karen has worked with Startup Canada from the beginning, helping the organization to build a founding team and consulting as they continue to grow. Karen has more than 18 years of experience in the employment services sector. Karen, wow. I feel like I could ask you any HR question and you would just be such a resource for all of it. I'll try. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to hear about how you got into this sector. What inspired you to get started in employment consulting? Well, like a lot of people's careers evolve 
it wasn't planned. Um, I've actually worked for the private sector, the public sector, and I attended a seminar one time on technology trends, and I was asked if I would like to work in it. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'm not a tech worker. And uh, But it was the communication capability and the ability to read and analyze and customize the, uh, the analysis for the audience. The audience uh, being job seekers in the tech sector, if you understand the business, then it's easy to analyze the information and give it to them. So I was actually headhunted for the position and I've never turned back and I love it. So I like to learn. And if you're in the ICT sector, there is no limit to what you need to learn. And uh, so my passion for technology and what it does for us, uh, we have no choice and we have to continue to learn and I can help people understand why we have to learn it and help them leverage the skills they have, learn new skills and leverage it into the workforce. So it's just, I guess, the passion for helping people and technology is how I got here. That's a beautiful synthesis of things or a combination of things. So obviously here in your bio and it states that you helped start up Canada in the early days. I did. <laughs> um, what was that like helping them build their team? It, we can use this maybe as a case study for, for how you do what you do. Absolutely. Because when I first uh, connected with Startup Canada, uh, I met Victoria, I think it was on social media first. And then I attended the Startup Canada launch at the University of Ottawa and uh, got to understand a little bit about the the concept and what they planned on doing and it really resonated with me because it's not about the big companies anymore anybody can find them but the big opportunities for growth and to improve our economic footprint is the startup companies the entrepreneurs and that's where the support needs to be uh, and that's my feeling anyway and so the the chance to be able to work with startup to get their staff on board to get the right people with the same passions as Victoria had and I have, um, that was really special and I really enjoy it. And I continue to work with them to this day, obviously. <laughs> so when you work with them, what does that look like? Are you helping them put applications out or, uh, figure out the job descriptions, uh, figure out what the team needs through all of those different tests that you can do for teams? How does, what does that look like? So a lot of it started off with uh, meetings with Victoria about her belief in what Startup Canada would look like as it grew. And, uh, so she would tell me the kind of people she needed, what she needed for her staff, uh, drop a job description. I give her suggestions about what, you know, things that could add to it. And then I would uh, advertise and resource through the clients that came to us looking for jobs, uh, through the network that I, that's been built out there with Employment Ontario and uh, present potential candidates to her for interviews. And once they're interviewed and the person was chosen, uh, there is incentives, financial incentives to hire individuals presented by us. They're called employment uh, employer incentives. And uh, the same thing applies to any business. So they were able to not only uh, access our services, but also access some of the funding. So they can speak directly to the services that we provide. Uh, we help in training and uh, hiring and resourcing and screening. And so we've done that for Startup Canada team and continue to do it for a lot of companies that get referred to me by people that work at Startup. 
Uh, some of the nice part is that some of the people that were hired at startup in the beginning uh, were hired on contract, which is the nature of this industry. And when they completed their contract here, they came back to me as a job seeker and I helped them record what they learned here on their resume to make it pertinent to their job search at that time and help them land another job later on. So it's a, it's a full circle service. That's fantastic. And it also, I guess, would turn into almost mentorship at that point as well, if you're seeing similar candidates over time. Absolutely. And uh, because of the understanding I have about what they did at Startup, I was able to say, well, you did this and you did this and you use this tool. I'm like, oh, yeah. And so they, a job seeker doesn't always remember what they should put on a resume. And uh, when we talk about resumes, um, it's very interesting because if you pick up a resume book, it talks about uh, what should be on your resume. And most of them were written 10, 12 years ago or more, where the industry was very different. Uh, and they're written for anybody in any sector. So we try to make people understand their sector, their targets, their goals. And a resume is a marketing brochure of what you want to do in the future. It's not always a historical. So if you present everything you've done in the past, people are going to assume that you want to do that again because that's what you're putting out there. So when I look at a resume, I read what they've done in the past, ask them a few questions to validate it, but then I turn the resume upside down and I look them straight in the eye and say, what do you want to do? Because my little saying that apparently a lot of people know about is the next job might not be anything that you have done before, but it will be because of everything you've done before. Wow. So we have to find out what you want to do going forward and extrapolate from what you've done to prove to the reader, the next potential employer, that this is the evidence as to why you think you can do that job because an employer is hiring you to do something for them going forward. They're not hiring you to do something that you did 10 years ago. They're hiring you to understand their business and apply your knowledge and skills and proof of that when you read a job posting. Uh, how many job postings do you see that actually say knowledge of something? knowledge of this, knowledge of this process, knowledge of this tool. And people don't habitually put knowledge of something on a resume. You only put what I did. So we kind of bring them up to speed to recognize that a resume is a, a marketing brochure and you write it like that. And once I get that concept, then it takes a little bit of coaching to put the right words on paper and then get it to the right businesses. Look at the hidden job market, look at the business trends, look at the local business news to find out who might be hiring because, you know, everybody knows the big companies, you know, over 500, they're easy to find. The SMEs, not easy to find. Networking events, business news, who's winning contracts. Those are the things you have to tap into. Watching news feeds, getting onto RSS feeds, getting onto the service, uh, the Startup Canada news feed and, and podcasts and finding out who's out there. That's, that's the kind of coaching that we do. So would you say that I, back when I was straight out of university, I would see a lot of people who they change the cover letter, but they don't change what's in the resume when <laughs> they're applying. That question. Yeah. So <laughs> you know they why? really should be doing both. And honestly, like a lot of, uh, in my hiring experience, mm -hmm. um, I haven't looked at a formal resume in my hiring as mm -hmm. a founder. Um, and I find that really interesting as a founder. So yeah, when, when someone is applying for a job, how do they make sure that they are standing out in a really important way beyond just the cover letter? They got to get back Excellent into the question. thick of the resume. First of all, uh, 
We only tell people to write a cover letter if the website says paste cover letter here, paste resume here. Ah. Because most HR people, most hiring managers, time is money, right, in business. And if you have two attachments on an email, one's a cover letter, one's a resume, which one are they going to read? Right. Cover letters very rarely get read. Unless their process requests a cover letter, the resume is what they're going to open and that's what they're going to read. So that little notation at the top, the one thing that makes me cringe is, I would like to play a challenging role in your company based on my experience. That forces the reader to read everything about them, their history, probably, and what can they do for me? That's not going to happen in today's market because you've not only got people that are not working that's applying for jobs. You've got people who are working because it's a contract-based industry, right? And full-time or what they used to use the word permanent, and I totally recommend taking that out of your conversation. Permanent only means until the money runs out. Right. Ask the people from the big companies in the Ottawa area that have been laid off and didn't expect it. So full-time, sure. Uh, part-time, maybe doing web developers, for example, software developers, for example, technical writers, they can be working for two or three companies at a time. They just have to be good at project management and time management, right? So the resume has to indicate at the top, give the reader a reason to read. So this is what I'd like to do for your company. You know, maybe there's a posting. I would like to fulfill the role of whatever that is based on my knowledge of my experience and then give them the relevant experience, the relevant knowledge. And then at the bottom of the resume, you can put other work experience. So the resume is very um, uh, liquid these days, if you will, uh, very fluid. You can move things around with software. It's really easy. And I won't tell you the way my first resume was handwritten. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I put it out there. <laughs> um, but the resumes today have to meet the reader's needs. It's not that anyone, uh, one employer is going to see five versions of your resume. Because if you looked at all of the versions of my resume, you would think I had multi-personalities. But by the time you've done a few things in your life, you can do different things. But if I'm going to target a specific role, that reader wants to read why I think I can do that role and the evidence behind it. So for example, a software developer can start off writing uh, back-end applications. Then they can learn uh, mobile apps. And then they can, they want to do scripting. And then maybe they want to do software design. So if you look at job titles, those are all different roles if it's in a big company. But in a small company, they might have to do all of it, the full life cycle. So it's really important when we're coaching people to know your audience, know the company you're targeting, read about them, look at their website, profile them, profile the person who owns and runs the company and present your information to that audience. And so, yes, does it take a little bit of time to customize a resume? Absolutely. I didn't say job searching was easy. It's different these days, but you have to do that because you're competing with everybody else out there that's working and not working and new grads and mature workers with knowledge and experience. So it is important to compete. And, and if that we, effort is so necessary on the absolutely. front end because like that's, that's your first impression. Absolutely. That first impression is, yeah. is 
gold. Uh, attention to detail. And they've got a spelling mistake. <laughs> Love that one. Oh my goodness. And we run a magazine online. So grammar and spelling and punctuate. I, when I see that it, it does put a judgment in my mind. Absolutely. I can't help it. Absolutely. Cause it's like, you have to be thorough. You have yeah. to be precise, especially with how quickly things move now. Oh, absolutely. Um, the smallest things can throw yeah. the reader off. So going from those applying to now those hiring. Mm-hmm. So I am startup founder. Okay. I am looking to hire. Okay. I am afraid of hiring. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I don't even realize that there are places and people like you who can help me do the hiring. Yeah. Um, what is like the, what, what does the cost structure look like? What does the process look like if I'm just a newbie trying to figure this out and be like, I need help, but I don't know where to start. Cost. I like coffee. (laughs) Uh, Seriously, the services from Employment Ontario and all the service providers is free. Uh, And we have funding to help offset the cost of hire. We have funding to help offset the cost of training. And we help you do screening. We've got experience in it. So I'll give you an example of a a live company. I won't say the name of it, but there is a company that came to Canada uh, a little over a year ago. And they had to hire a team. So the CEO, um, actually vice president, I think his title is, uh, had worked with me at three other companies he had worked with in the past for doing hiring. So he called me and he said, I need to hire 18 people. These are the skill sets. Send me a job description. I said, when do you need them by? He smiled and said, two weeks. We did it. We made it happen. (laughs) We, uh, we advertise through our network. We advertise on local job boards. Uh, the resumes come in to me and I literally screened about 180 resumes down to about 60. Uh, together with him, we screened that down to about 30, which he interviewed, did like a speed dating interview kind of thing. Decided on about 25 to meet for the second time and then down to the 18 that he actually hired. And some of those people met the eligibility of Employment Ontario for us to be able to support uh, offsetting the cost of hire. Eligibility, I'll get into a little bit more later, but the eligibility is always based on the client. As long as the company is a legally operating company in Ontario, hence Employment Ontario, um, and they have the business liability insurance, which I talk about later in one of your other questions, and um, workplace safety insurance, then they qualify. The amount of funding, if there is funding, is always based on the client eligibility, which are questions that we can ask the client about their their status, their um, household income, their uh, many things about their status. I don't just mean Canadian status, but work status. Uh, and if they're underemployed, then there might be potential uh, offset. So if they've come to us and they're unemployed and the uh, household income question is answered, there's a lot of support for the candidate. There's also, when I'm talking about skills gap analysis, we may talk about what they've done, but to get this new job, they have to learn something. There's a, there's a certification they should learn or a process they should learn, maybe a new tool. We have over 2000 computer-based training courses that are industry recognized that I can say, Hey, go take the computer-based training on this, then we can add it to your resume to say knowledge of this new tool or knowledge of this new program or whatever it happens to be. And that knowledge of oftentimes coupled with what they have is enough to for us to entice that employer say, hey, this person has this, recently learned this, 
and I'm uh, offering you an employer incentive to interview this person. And they interview them. And with the employer incentive, money helps when you're talking about small to medium cash flow is important. So if I can offset that cost of hire because the personality, the attitude of that person is a good fit for the company, they're often willing to give that person a chance. It's a two way street though. You have a job trial of an individual we've presented. Uh, they have the opportunity to prove themselves and see if it's a fit for them. And you have the opportunity as the employer to see if they're a fit for you. So it's a two-way street. And if the fit is there, we have a very high success rate of sustainable employment after a placement or a job trial because we we work hard at making those fits match. That's why we spend so much time with our employers to say, okay, what are you looking for? You know, regardless of the skill set and the tool, what kind of attitude are you looking for? What is your work environment like? Because not everybody can go from a large corporate structure to a small company. Not everybody can go from government work to private sector or vice versa. So we always get to know our employers and then we get to know the candidates and we, we, well, we honestly take pride in our matching and uh, it works. So this company that came to Canada, the every single person that's on that, that started with them is still there. And we just, this morning, <laughs> I signed the last two of the second team we helped them hire. They solely came to us to do their staffing because... It's a service we offer. The ministry likes to see that our services are being used and the companies get a free service. That's huge. And I think that when it comes to the founders as well, they don't realize that there are these resources given by the government, at least in Ontario, perhaps across Canada, that make this easier for them. Because I know with some founders, when you're hiring, it, it can take up a whole quadrant of your brain and you're just trying to be the visionary, keep operations going, do all of this. But knowing that there's a resource available, funding available, uh, it's a no brainer that, that they should be reaching out to you. So when it, yeah, yeah go ahead. Our guidelines actually say we are designed as an extension of your HR. So this company that came from the States to here now, they do not have HR presence here. I work with their HR in the States via email for their documentation, their screening, what their requirements are on the phone, and then we just make it happen at this end. Wow. So. Well, I think you've got a new customer in me. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Um, so when it comes to the incentives, can mm -hmm. you give us a ballpark range of, of what that could look like? The money, the amount of money varies based on the program, the eligibility of the client and the time of year and budget. So this is April 1st. This is our new budget year. Our managers are currently having a meeting right now to see what our budget's going to look like. <laughs> so numbers wise, it can be anywhere from, you know, the ability for us to buy the work boots for a laborer right? The steel-toed boots to a youth that's never been connected to the field with maybe high barriers. And I don't mean barriers as a derogatory, but things standing in the way of that person being successful, um, you know, could be a few thousand dollars. Uh, but we also are very knowledgeable of the other programs available to employers. So we often refer to, you know, like uh, some of the federal programs or some of the other provincial programs. And that changes from time to time. Then I could sit here and list like 
10 different programs available to employers, but this is April 1st. Some of those might not exist this week, so I don't want to do that to you. Um, just know that if you're hiring, training, want a resource, expanding of any kind, and I mean training new hires or your current staff, reach out to us and we'll apply whatever resources are available at that time. But the amount of money varies from... Like I said, a pair of work boots to a few thousand dollars. But there's other programs. We might find you the people, but I'm going to say, you know what? Tap into them for the funding because there's more. But that's but why you know we... that. You know the network. You exactly. know the funding network, exactly. which is half the battle. We'll it's more than half the battle <laughs> for entrepreneurs. And we'll help you navigate those waters because sometimes you know, one program can work right now, but tap into this one because it'll help you six months down the road. Wow. So we'll help you navigate those waters and make the right introductions. You're like a fairy employment godmother <laughs> in this situation, well, <laughs> in the best way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned insurances before. So what are the things that are required for okay. an employer to work with you? This actually goes uh, with one of the other questions you wanted to ask later too, about what should a company know um, to protect themselves and to move forward. So number one, uh, usually entrepreneurs are very excited about their business, right? They, they know what they want to do. They know what they want to achieve. And so some conversations that you need to have at the beginning is ask a lot of questions like the insurance, like the staffing, know what's available. You might not need it all right now, but you have to know what's available and so that you know where to go when you need it. So insurances, in order to you, um, access government funding for any of the programs, you need to have two insurances in place. One is business liability insurance. If you're incorporated, your accountant probably looked after that to start up the business, but check and make sure. Okay. And the other one is workplace safety. Now, a lot of people think, oh, I don't need WSIB. You're right. You probably don't. But to access government funding, um, what the insurance companies call it is employer liability. So if uh, somebody that is working for you, that especially if they're on funding support from us, you have to have some kind of workplace safety. So if you trip and fall while you're working, if you injure yourself in any way, uh, that there is some kind of coverage, whether it's short-term disability or you know sick leave, whatever. There, it comes in different forms. We also have some people that we can, like, people knowledgeable in the insurance industry that I can introduce you to for that conversation. And uh, they can give you the right terminology to ask. Usually your own insurance broker that, you know, your house, your car and everything, ask them, tell them you need employer liability insurance. It's workplace safety, like third party. It can be third party. As long as that's in place, then you have uh, access to us. So that's really the only barrier to entry. That's it. Okay. Not a barrier. Just Not something a barrier. you got to learn, right? You're right. You're right. <laughs> Reframing yeah. Yeah, the language. Exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to the current online economy, um, in my experience, pardon me, listeners, I know you can probably hear my nasally voice, but there's a little bit of a cold in there. Um, I work with a lot of freelancers and folks who work for multiple companies. Does that preclude them from going to you to be hired by another company or is it for only part-time or full-time? It can be part-time. It can be full-time if it's determined to be underemployed or unemployed. So freelancers from time to time may truly be unemployed right? They're a freelancer, but I got no work right now. So that's in our terminology, it's called sporadic, unsustainable employment. 
right? Um, they got no income right now. They may not even um, qualify for EI, right? Because of the nature of the work that they've done. So no, I always say, have them contact us and let us have the conversation to see what the eligibility is. We often have companies where, you know, you're going to find, excuse me, you're going to find 10 resumes and you're like, Karen, can you screen these for me? Send them all to me. I'll contact them all and say, I got your resume from, you know, whoever sends it to me, the employer. And uh, I will talk to them about what Employment Employment Ontario does. Uh, are they looking for work? Is this the type of work they're looking for? And if it is, I'll meet with them because we have to meet them. And uh, I'll talk to them about that and I'll, I'll verify. I, <laughs> I'm one of many people in Employment Ontario, <laughs> but we will verify their eligibility for our services. And sometimes I'll get back to you and say, okay, out of these 10, Six of them qualify for our services. Uh, three of them, if you hire them, I entice you to hire them because of their barriers, so to speak. Um, and here's some money to offset the cost. The others are really looking for work. It is a good match, personality fit, but I can't apply money. Right? I can't apply funding or support to it. But they may be the right fit for you. So it depends on what your priorities are. If I give you two people and one comes with funding because of their status and one doesn't, as a, an employer, you still want to have the right person, right? But if the amount of money makes a difference on who you hire because of your cash flow at that diff time, that's a business decision, right? And uh, the candidate just knows that we're presenting you. On the other side of it, if I'm working with five people on my caseload and I know of three employers who habitually look for their skill set, I'll uh, unsolicited say, I'm going to send you to this company, this company, and this company, giving the job seeker a chance to profile the companies and I'll send them. And I'll say, here's a candidate looking for an opportunity. I think it might fit with your company. Have a look at them. Feel free to call out for an interview. You interview them. You say, you know what? I'm not looking for that right now, but I will be in a couple of weeks. Great. You've met the person. If we can make it happen, we make it happen. But if the other company who also got their resume wants them now, you're going to miss out. We try to keep that conversation all going through me so that if one, if two companies are interested, I wish all job seekers were in that position, right? And so that they have a choice. It's up to them what they tell each company, but we just try to open as many doors as possible for the job seeker. And that's important because I had a client a couple of weeks ago referred to me from an employer saying, we found this person we think we want to hire, uh, but we're not quite ready yet. So they introduce the person to me, they come in to me, and I did my due diligence because when that person's sitting at my desk, my responsibility is to that job seeker, right? So, okay, they're interested, but they're not looking for three or four weeks. And he says to me, I need to get to work as fast as I can. So you know what? We opened a bunch of doors. You know, our job is to open the doors for both. So we have two clients, job seekers and employers. Employers, we try to find people. Job seekers, we try to find companies and make those introductions and everything seems to fall in place eventually. So one more, uh, more logistical question in regards to the freelancers who might be listening, if they have an incorporation or um, a company that they've registered and that's what they're working through, but they still meet the underemployment requirement, they would have to go as an individual, not as a company. Cause you, how does that work? That's right. They would come to me as an individual looking for work. 
whether they decide to put that income through their company or sometimes the company doesn't want to pay an incorporation. They want to pay the individual. That's a business decision they have to work out. Our job is to introduce them to potential employment. Okay. That's really great because I know a lot of our listeners are solopreneurs or freelancers themselves. So this could be an option for them to find Mm -hmm. other clients um, and still maintain the structure that they prefer for their business operations. And they might get a great client, but the company doesn't want to pay your incorporation. They want to put you on payroll. That's something you would have to work out with the employer. Our job is to make those introductions. And what would you say for both sides of the spectrum leads to long-term success. How can an employer ensure the longevity of the person they're hiring through you? And how can an employee ensure that the longevity of their role? Well, it's like any relationship. (laughs) Open discussion. Uh, Make sure that if you have a a vision for your company and your business, that the employee gets the buy-in on that by keeping them informed. You know, in a year, I'd like to be here. In two years, I'd like to be here. Keep the employees motivated by seeing the vision, being able to work towards a goal. Uh, Most human beings want to work towards a goal. So if they're kept in the loop they're happier. If they're, I'm going to put it out there, rewarded. Thanks for doing a great job. The reward does not always have to be financial, right? Some companies give shares, some companies don't, uh, some companies take care for dinner once a week, like whatever that looks like, you know, some companies, uh, there's a couple of companies in the, in the Canada West there that, you know, every other Friday is pizza day. So they get paid bi-weekly, On the week that's not payday, they're all given pizza, you know. So there are different ways of rewarding, right? Buy them a cake. Just tell somebody they did a good job. Uh, And the other goes goes the other way too. Like thank if I'm the employee and, you know, your supervisor provides you insight in where they want to be and what they want to do and ask for your input, you know, the employee should step up and say, you know, thanks for keeping me informed. Thanks for keeping me a part of your vision because then you feel part of the company. So it's, it's about trust. It's about communication. It's like any other relationship. And so you mentioned earlier that you can be like a pseudo HR department for some companies. So say the employee is struggling, um, would they come to you for advice or support? Has that happened? Is that something that you Not provide? to that aspect of the HR, because our mandate is to help people get employed, right? Our mandate to the employer is to help them uh, find the right people. But we also have... Um, you've probably heard of Canada, Ontario job grant, um, support for offsetting costs of training. So the amount of money is according to each, each company, each training, but there is a substantial offset of the cost of training. So for example, especially in the ICT sector, new tools come out all the time, new business processes, uh, new software, new expectations in the technology. So the company may say, we got to train everybody on, Salesforce, for example, Uh, or we got to train somebody on this new tool. So they find a third party trainer. They register with Employment Ontario through the Canada Ontario Job Grant, and that cost is offset. So it's that came about because technology was evolving so fast that a lot of large companies, as they evolved in their technology and their business, they would lay off 
people that didn't know that and hire people that did or hire younger, newer grads, whatever. So there was a large amount of people in the um, mature worker area that were getting laid off. So this came about because it's very important to maybe keep that business knowledge of your business and your company and just upskill them. So, but upskilling is very expensive for business. So it was actually, they thought at the time, cheaper to lay off and hire new. But as you know, that's a very expensive process too. So this upskilling kept people into jobs longer and it kept the business continuity of the mindset of the people that had been working there for 10, 15 years. And incentivizes keeping that institutional knowledge in-house. Exactly. Instead of the layoff, they grew them with the company and people love to learn new things. And if they're in technology, you know, that's important. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of companies took a full advantage of that last year and I'm sure will be again this year. So you mentioned earlier that your success rates are are great in those cases where things don't necessarily work out. What happens? Okay. So if you came to me and you said, we need to hire two people in this skill set, and say one was social media marketing, one was a web developer. We find those people, you hire them. One of them got an incentive, one didn't. And you said, okay, two weeks later, you call me and say that, you know, this one's not working out. Um, we would meet with both of you to, you know, say, what is it not working out? If it's something we can rectify by giving them some computer-based training or some coaching, great. Sometimes it's a cultural difference, right? And uh, maybe they come from a business culture where their hours were flexible, but yours aren't. So we would have a conversation. If we can make it work and it's amicable to both sides, great, job done. But if it's not amicable and they are on a placement, so the placement's four weeks, two weeks is it's going to end. We are still obligated to pay the the ratio that we had agreed on for the two weeks that the candidate was with you. So when we sign an agreement, a job placement, they call it, um, we are breaking it down per hour. So if they last two weeks, you give me verification that they worked and got paid those two weeks, we will give you the ratio of what we promised to make. And we will continue to work with that client to coach them and help them be successful. So, so no, we're not disappearing after replacement at all. That's so important to know, I think, both for employers, but also those who are coming to you to become clients where it, it doesn't, it's not a all or nothing. If you don't work here, it doesn't mean we won't work with you again. Exactly. We want to and see you succeed. people come back to us year after year. I've been doing this 18 years. This is a project-based industry. And, you know, like I worked at this company for three years. Uh, they're downsizing. They got bought out. <laughs> Like that never happens. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be looking for work in a month. Okay, come on in. Let's talk. What do you want to do? And uh, so people can have a what we call a service plan multiple times throughout their career. So the door is never closed. And even if they're working full time and they want to take advantage of the computer-based training for professional development, as long as they can you know, get their manager on board with the time because they have to come to our office to do that, not a problem. Fantastic. Yeah. So... You've worked with many entrepreneurs, I'm sure, from all different stages of the startup life. accelerators, startups. <laughs> where, what, what trends do you see in terms of where we slip up the most? Where, what, where can we, where's the most room for improvement okay. for us? Number one, um, what I've seen over the years is emotional hiring. Uh, I like this person. But you got to have the skill set. You got to put your business first. It's hard sometimes. It really is. Uh, emotional hiring, sometimes hiring too many too fast. 
but the thing is, ask the questions. A lot of entrepreneurs, very smart, very intelligent, very, you know, creative thinking, and therefore afraid to ask for help. Don't ask for help. There's a lot of help out there. A lot of programs out there. Go to some of these networking events. Go to uh, ask somebody from Employment Ontario. We all know each other. If there's a question one person can't answer, they'll refer you to somebody else. But don't be afraid to ask. And I would say, and and I'll quote somebody, uh, a lot of people in this city know. Can I say a name? Yeah. Um, Patrick White from Elspark. He makes a statement all the time is learn about it ask about it. And once you, you have the information, you might not need it right now, but you know where to go later when you do need it. I get companies that, you know, got my card. Oh, I got your card on my desk a year ago. I'm now ready to hire. Great. That's what it's for. So like he says, you got to be out there. You got to ask the questions. If you don't ask the questions, you don't know. Know what you know about your business, but know what you don't know about business and get somebody else to help you in that part. Yes. So you got the idea, but you know, sometimes you need a little mentorship, a little help along the way. And the fact that you don't know as an entrepreneur doesn't mean it's a weakness. It just means it's an area that you can improve through building your team. It's actually a strength to recognize what you don't know. And then ask somebody, like, what can I do when I need this? You know, do I have to have brick and mortar? No, there's a lot of hubs in Ottawa where you can lease or rent a room or space. And, you know, if you don't know where to get them, ask us. We're out there all the time. So there's there's a lot of ways of getting your business started, a lot of remote work. Uh, we have a lot of technology out there. <laughs> so ask. That's the biggest, the biggest failure is not asking. You don't ask or you don't get what you don't ask for. Exactly. Exactly. Speaking of when it comes to resources for entrepreneurs and specifically female entrepreneurs, what is out there? What do you recommend? What uh, program services or networks have you seen a lot of uh, people flourish with? There is um, number one, an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur, no matter what race, culture, gender, doesn't matter. Um, but for, for women entrepreneurs getting into it, I, I know the struggle and the, the, uh, biases that might exist or, or I'm going to say perceived to exist, but there is a lot of organizations like women in business network, women in technology, uh, get involved, go out to these networking events. That's the biggest, the biggest help for any entrepreneur or startup company is networking. Talk to people who've been there, done that, gone through it. You might find a perfect mentor that loves the idea of your business and information's information, information's power, connections, you know, know who to go to, but get out there and talk and ask, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, but women specifically, I'm seeing a lot of growth in, uh, in women in technology and women in business. In fact, I'm going to be very proud to say I was at an event where there was a cybersecurity panel and out of the five people on the panel, four were women. Yes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's remarkable because Canada's becoming a thought leader globally, Absolutely. expert in cybersecurity. So exactly. to know that yeah. there's, we're, we're seeing great ratios. Absolutely. Um, 
yeah. is inspiring to me. It is very inspiring. And I was like, I'm looking at the panel going, really? Because I did <laughs> not expect that. But that was really awesome. And we're not used to seeing that. No. It's no. remarkable. It's a like, good change. It's, I think the, the confidence level, um, getting involved in technology, and I think a lot of the programs that started maybe 10 years ago in the universities where there was organizations that reached out to young women, like grade nine women. And I was involved in some of those at Carleton University. There was a professor there, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, uh, that actually reached out to grade nine females to get them interested in engineering. And uh, those are the people that are now coming up. You know, they've graduated and they've got their confidence and they're the ones growing companies. So let's help them. It takes time. It takes planting the seeds early. Exactly. You can't be what you can't see. All of, I can go, I can say all the cheesy lines right now. (laughs) So could I. (laughs) But I will save you guys from that. And I will ask you our final question for this interview, which we ask all of our guests. What is your final piece of advice for women to thrive in business and in life? Ask questions, have clear expectations about your business, uh, learn some project management and time management skills, learn about risk assessment, and when you need to hire, train, or screen, call somebody in Employment Ontario. Call me. If I'm too busy, I'll refer you to somebody else. But it is time for our small to medium businesses to thrive. And it is to improve the economic footprint of our region. And the reason we exist is we want companies to be successful. We want them to hire here and stay here so that we can grow. Thank you so much, Karen Lavoie. And in our show notes, you will have links to all the Employment Ontario uh, information that we talked about today. And we were so happy to have you here, Karen. Thank you so much for being here. And to all of our guests, keep thriving. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive. Thank you.